0: welcome back to Naturally Adventurous. This is Charlie. Today I'm delighted to be joined by a lady who describes herself as an artist, a naturalist, an educator, a traveler, um, all these things. She is also the artist that did the front cover for the book that Ken and I worked on, The Habitats of the World, Christine Elder. Welcome to Naturally Adventurous.
1: Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here, and I'm honored to be in the same company as other women you've interviewed, like Molly and Tiffany. So, thanks so much.
0: A while ago, I, I had this idea that um, I would like to explore bird art or nature art. It's just uh, as being a, another way that you can appreciate nature. And I wasn't sure about what we would talk about, but the more I looked into it, the more I I realized what a fascinating subject it is and and also it's it's like a it's such a different way I mean we both do the same kind of things you know we both go to amazing places we look at amazing wildlife and we're kind of approaching it from a different direction so this is what I I kind of want to explore a little bit today is kind of like appreciation of nature through through nature art and sketching and sketching trips and um, I've been watching some of the videos that you sent me um, in preparation and it's really kind of blown my mind um (laughs) how i've been missing this you know how you you you've got this amazing appreciation and you just it's just a, a totally different take and a different kind of subculture you know i i ken and i we we're photographers we're sound recorders and we've we've sort of accessed nature through those things and then you've got this completely different way of doing it. So I'm really excited to, to get into that. But I, I want to start first, maybe with um, with w- where it all started for you, like how long you've been doing this. And um, yeah, how you got into art in the first place.
1: Um, I think since I was a little kid, I was an only child. So I did a lot of stuff on my own. And I was always equally interested in the outdoors I had horses and rode around like Tahoe where I grew up in California but I was also equally interested in expressing myself creatively and I had a lot of time on my own to do that (laughs) so um you know I sewed and I made little sand candles in the backyard (laughs) in the sandbox and um and so I was always into nature and art and I got a degree in biology and when I finally got yeah into my bachelor's I realized there was a you know, a field called scientific illustration. And I all of a sudden realized, oh, of course, somebody had to draw all those, you know, diagrams (laughs) and skulls and anatomical pictures in the biology textbooks. And so I got really interested in that because it really combined both my left and my right brains of really loving art and science. And so I think my whole life I've kind of done, you know, done both.
0: So were you like during that, um, that kind of scientific illustration was this kind of mainly on plants or I mean I've seen p- pictures that you've done of, of beautiful like um, skeletons and, and different kind of plants and stuff so what is that like focused on a whole bunch of different things?
1: So, yeah, so I have a degree in scientific illustration, and people can go a lot of directions with that. They can go into medical illustration and, you know, illustrating cadavers and muscles and bones of humans. Um, but they can also do more what I call uh, natural science illustration, where you're doing flora and fauna. So, um, you know, I I did that for a long time, and I still do working with, uh, you know, parks and Zoos and aquariums and natural history museums and scientists and publishers like Ian's Habitat's book. um, Drawing things that are sometimes very detailed and take dozens of hours. And then other things that are much more like field sketchy look. So it depends on the audience. I've done things for kids books and then things for scientific publications. So it's a really interesting wide field. Um, but I, I'm a little bit, I think too ADHD to, um, <laughs> to really put too much time into something. Once I spend maybe three or four hours on something, I'm done with it. So I really love, uh, you know, spending more time in the field and using my sketching knowledge in a way that helps me learn things like learn the birds in the field and that's one way you know we we overlap very strongly is because i really started doing a lot of my field sketching when i got into birding um you know (sighs) I, before, before about a decade ago, I was much more involved with botany and entomology things. But then I got a really good pair of binoculars and started hanging out with birders. And you know, there's ten thousand birds in the world. And so, <laughs> when I started, you know, traveling more with the binoculars, I really wanted to learn the birds. And I'm such a visual learner. You know, I just cannot learn by just hearing something. I'm one of those people that has to see it. And I'm so ADHD that I have to be like focused on actively doing something else, you know, my mind says squirrel, you know? So when I'm out in the field, I'm I'm sketching the birds I'm trying to learn, you know, like all those tanagers and hummingbirds in at the equator, right? You know, it's trying to separate out all those field marks or all the warblers, you know, in this spring that come up to North America, you know, a lot of those critters are look so alike and once you slow down to to sketch them even if it's a very you know childish kind of symbolic drawing if you've just got your field marks of you know a yellow cap here and black and white wing bars there you know it really helps to, to you to learn it more quickly than just looking at it with your binoculars right and it gives you in you know, deepens experience for you when you're in the field, I think, because you come home and you have something to look at, you know, as a memento, like like the um, (laughs) field sketchbooks on my uh, bookcase.
0: So I was watching one of your like workshops and you you were using some some templates for some and then putting in the putting in the colors in the field, like I think with the warblers, you would take these and you would sort of add the colors, like when you were in the field. Right,
1: and the tanagers yeah. in in Equate in tanagers. Uh, Ecuador. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Trying to separate do, all like those a, out.
0: A very a very kind of rough shape, and then just try and just get the colors in.
1: Right, right, because that's the, what differs. The, you know when you've got twenty yeah. or thirty you know, warblers in North America or hummingbirds or tanagers in the tropics, they're all the same shape, but it's their color patterns that are all different, right?
0: <laughs> so the question that popped into my head when I saw you doing that is why not just take a photo or like look at a book or something like that? But then it comes into this thing of of using it as a learning skill. You you ask a photographer that's just taken a, a pictures of a bunch of tanagers, you know, what color is its tail, what colors its wing? They... They, they, don't, they wouldn't have a clue because they've just taken a picture and moved on to the next thing. So <laughs> yeah. I think that's probably where that difference lies between like somebody that's into photography and somebody that's into like nature sketching, right?
1: Well, and you as a photographer know that it's so dangerous nowadays with digital photography that you, uh-huh. you end up with, a, you know, a thousand pictures of each species. <laughs> and, you know, y- you've got to look at those when you get back home from a trip. And so your sketchbook is immediate and you can see right there on one page, you know, all of, the, right. all of the species on one page where that you're trying to compare that you might get mixed up because, you know, again, they're like the Hummers, their bill length is different or their tail length is different.
0: <laughs> I was on a plane coming back from Kenya and um, this was maybe three or four years ago and i was just i'm i'm always editing photos on a plane and i was just madly editing all these photos a the guy there was a guy that was sat next to me was looking over my shoulder and he was like oh some nice photos and you know it often often happens and then he said he was a he was a wildlife sketcher and he'd just been doing a nature sketching trip in kenya and he pulled out his, his stuff that he'd been doing, and it blew my mind. And you know this guy, this is Jack Jack, Jack. Jack Muir. Oh, that's so yeah. funny, you guys were on the same
1: plane, yeah, yeah. We, we
0: were sat next Jack to each other on back. the plane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know, you mentioned him in some of your, your workshops, and he pulled out his stuff, and I was looking at it, and his attention to detail really, really impressed me. He showed me a picture of some storks that he'd been sketching at this swamp in Kenya, And he was the things that because you guys, as well as like sketching and adding colors, you're also making little notes. Sure,
1: sure. Yeah. Diagrams and notes and er anything else that can help you. Because, you know, again, maybe something is flying too fast or the behavior changes too quickly. And so all those written notes help. Or if you don't have your watercolors or other color media, you can make little notes about the field mark colors. So yeah, that that's really important. So, you know, it's not just about nature sketching and it's not art. Uh-huh. art. You know, people like us like to think that it's just, um, you know, using, using a pencil and media in a different way. You know, like we grow up um, knowing that you use a pencil um, to learn how to uh, write letters and that you write, you know, you know, you learn the letters of the alphabet so that you can communicate with people and and learn things and express things. And you don't judge yourself on the quality of your calligraphy usually, right? It's just so, a means yeah. of remembering something, exchanging information. And so that's what we think about when we're nature journaling, is that it's just another way just like all of the uh, naturalists before us, where before there was video and you know cameras and all the other technology, you know all the great explorers from you know Humboldt and Audubon and Maria Sibylla Merian and, Marian and, and the, you know millions of, of, of people that were beginning to travel in the great age of exploration for the last 500 years, right? They had to use notes. Or Lewis and Clark here in North America. Um, so they had to make detailed uh, sketches to prove that they'd seen something and observed it because sometimes that might be the only proof because if they're gonna or like Darwin of course he's gonna try to get things back in these glass jars all the way back to London and they might break or dissolve or go overboard <laughs> so you you know your uh, your notebook um is is your proof and it's proof for other people, um, as well as yourself. And it's, so that's my number one, you know, way that I combine art and travel and, and education, as you asked me earlier.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So it's, it's something that somebody could have done all those, you know, these, these pioneer traveler hundreds of years ago, They, they could have been doing this exact same thing, a little sketchbook and making little notes. So it's something that's, um, that that's kind of very historical and uh, and 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 I can at that time there was no photography and now now there is photography and somebody might ask is is this still necessary do you have to do this you know you've got all these other means you can take videos you can take photos but I yeah the sort of you know playing devil's ad- advocate you'd be like you know well you don't need to do this anymore but but it's, it's not still,
1: engaging your mind as much it's as not when your exactly hand. Yet is actively, Uh you know, you don't remember something until you do it, right? There's some saying Uh about that, right? You know, we we learn more when we do it. And so the act is just as important. And so, like, when I'm teaching nature sketching and journaling, I tell people that, you know, it doesn't really matter what what ends up on the page. It's the Uh time you spent doing it that puts that information Uh in your brain. And so, yeah, a, Mm -hmm. a, a bird photographer can click off you know a thousand shots in five minutes um but again like you said earlier they gonna remember where those field marks are (laughs) and you know really focusing long enough you know and you know you lead birding tours and i've co-led them before too and so many people just want to see that bird get it in the scope and they're done and they're off right but if you ask them at lunch you know when you're going over the list if they remember those field marks, um, they're gonna be like, "No, it was kind of orange, wasn't it?" or I don't I don't remember, but <laughs> right? And so but the act yeah, of actually doing yeah. it is gonna yeah. cement it in your brain.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's a really nice and and do you do you find your your like field sketching makes you? A better birder in a way
1: well yeah i mean like i said before that's when i really started bringing my sketching into the field is when i was trying to learn birds and when i had finally got a nice pair of uh binoculars that i could um really combine those two and then start separating out those birds <laughs> with that act of of drawing them
0: i've never done Nature sketching in the field, I think, or or very, very rarely. I've done a lot of, I I grew up um, drawing birds and painting birds and painting wildlife. And recently, during the pandemic, I got back into art. Yeah, I love your um,
1: Instagram posts. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And thank you for your support. Really, it's huge. I I wanted to ask you another thing is, how do you take criticism as an artist when people kind of critique your stuff? Are you quite sensitive to it?
1: I don't know. I don't get a lot of criticism.
0: <laughs> oh, you maybe, must do. maybe I, mean, you I must don't do. ask
1: for it. I don't
0: know. Right. But you put, stuff, um, you put stuff out there for people to see, you know, and that takes a certain amount, especially when you're just getting started with art. It takes a certain amount of bravery because some people say, oh, that's wonderful. Other people will just say, oh, that's basically they'll just say it's no good or, you know, that. And, and it's for me, my from my personal experience, I'm extremely sensitive right. to criticism and and I think that's partly because you put – if you take a picture, a photograph, it takes you a few seconds and you put it up. If it's no good, it's fine. You just take another one. But a painting or a picture, you put so much of yourself into it. I feel like you kind of leave part of yourself in the picture. So somebody criticizing it and saying it's no good, it I, I take it very personally. So I was kind of curious –
1: well, people probably criticize things, but they don't do it to my face. Um, don't did do Well Maybe you just too good. Nobody <laughs> No, when I was in mm. graduate school and doing scientific illustration, we would have our weekly critiques, and and that was hard. Um, and I've never kind of fancied myself as like a fine artist, and that's kind of why I enjoy more the nature journaling and field sketching, and when I'm teaching people, because that's kind of what I got into in the pandemic is teaching online. I hardly ever use the word art. I don't want people to think of (laughs) their drawings as art. I want them to think of it as just like I'd mentioned before, you know, you're learning so much about something in the act of drawing it. It doesn't even matter what it turns out on the page and that, um, you know, you will eventually you know your the quality of what is on the page will eventually catch up with the number of hours you've done something and and worked right. on a certain species you know like i've gotten pretty good at hummingbirds because i spent a lot of time in the <laughs> tropics so you know but if you've just never drawn a wildebeest before or something you know it's not going to be as accurate so you know it's it's just it's just um yeah, you know, so I just like to take the word art out of it and right. and I always put myself, my work out there as, hey, here's an illustration of this. And it's it's just talking about, hey, these are some birds I found in, in Ecuador and isn't it cool that there's such huge species diversity of hummingbirds in Ecuador, you know. And, you know, so taking the emphasis off of the look of it and more emphasis on... What was learned through the process and just enjoying, yeah, you know, and like so many things, when you're in the field, happen quickly. Like uh, I was just in Belize and I saw my first huge army ant swarm, and we were running <laughs> after the army ants and we we're, right. you know, trying to sketch all the type of ant. Birds and like this barred ant shrike, which is a a lifer for me, trying to get that one in there, and, and just so excited that all these birds were coming to eat the critters that were being flushed by the army ant swarm, right? So, you know, you learn so much about the ecology and symbiotic associations, predator prey things. Sometimes it turns out looking prettier on the page, and sometimes it doesn't, and that just depends on on the field conditions.
0: so when I think of nature sketching, the thing that pops into my head is that things are moving around, and it, it's quite hard to to capture some kind of position or whatever and This came out when I was watching one of your workshops. It was like like question and answers at the end, and one one thing that people would say is like, how do you, how do you, how do you do it? How do you make it? How do you get it down quick? And and what what I thought was very funny was that you you did some of these like um what what, what did you call them? Like a sort of trial sketch. So you put like a video up on the screen and people could like have a little practice. Yeah. Sketch. You did one of the uh, the Winbar mannequins in Ecuador, and you did another one with uh, with sloths. You had like a like a two tone yeah. sloth. Yeah. And then somebody commented at the end was that they were even struggling with the slope. Just <laughs> going so slow. <laughs> I was like, if you're struggling with a sloth, then you know what? what <laughs> chance do you have with somebody that something that's moving like like way quicker?
1: Well, again, and, they, they probably and, never drawn a sloth before either. Yeah, <laughs> is if something's moving quickly, like a hummingbird, I'll just look at it very quickly and look away and start sketching because I like I've almost taken a snapshot of one position
0: mm. right because if you keep looking <laughs> I'm waving this my arms this is a podcast it, it, this is an audio uh, medium here you know you can only hear our voices but but I've got to tell everybody at home that Christine's doing all these little um, hummingbird positions on our on our little uh, on our little video call here so or the grouse <laughs>
1: So I just look for a moment and take a snapshot sort of with my eyes and look away. Because, again, if you just keep watching them moving from here to there, left and right and up and down, yeah, you do get confused. Yeah.
0: So Mm -hmm. one of the other things I was looking at that you were doing, was it something, it was about like, was it right brain? Yep. Something Mm -hmm. using the right side of your brain. and, And does that drawing from memory, is that involved in this right brain thing or what?
1: That is one of my exercises. I have people Right. I even have people put an object inside of a bag. Imagine like right. a seashell. Um uh-huh. and drawing it just by feel. Oh my god. <laughs> I can put a link to that in that uh website I I gave you to um post on the yeah podcast. We'll, we'll put
0: all, we'll put lots of links on yeah. in the in the, <laughs> um, the episode description at the bottom that people can check out mm-hmm. but um, okay so so drawing from memory is something that you can that you can use um, when, right. when you when you're in the field yeah because right. so um,
1: often you know that bird is sitting there for a minute and then it flies off so right w- what I try to do is as long as it's sitting there quietly just trying to burn that image into my brain, that silhouette and not do any drawing as long as it's just sitting there quietly. Uh, And then once it flies away, I immediately start sketching. So it really exercises your brain. You know, nowadays we don't have to memorize anything, right? Everything we need is at the click of a button or the tap of a screen (laughs) and nobody has to remember. And I mean, I don't even know anybody's phone numbers anymore, right? (laughs)
0: right Uh so
1: so we are so um we've really weakened that part of our brain i think that can actually memorize something and i think it it feels really good it's it's very um relaxing to be able to be right in the moment it's almost like when you're trying to um you know throw pottery or, or or juggle balls that you have to be in right in the moment and that pushes everything else out and it's very therapeutic, I find. So, yeah, I love that um, of, of just, you know, drawing from from memory after something has flown off because that's usually what it's going right.
0: to do. Yeah, I want to come back to... Because one of my other questions was, how how do you feel when you're painting? And, yeah, yeah that's, that's very interesting. I want to come back to that. But there were some other things about nature sketching I wanted to bring up. You mentioned in one of these workshops that... Uh, there was things like you know if if an animal is symmetrical, just sketch half of it, and you can do the other half later on. Um, you did like a bug, and you are like just do just do half the bug, and yeah. Yeah, I, I was it. working yeah. on this
1: Bob's cat skull today, and ah. I thought I only had time to do half of it, and uh, then I kept right. working on the other half.
0: <laughs> do that so, half later on.
1: So yeah, you know, there's lots of tricks in the field a, that lots I of talk about. Out. Yeah, and a lot and of that stuff is the- available on my website
0: yeah and people must check this out i just found it fascinating and the other thing was maybe um concentrate on the part that's moving the most like like there was some there was some i can't remember what what it was but there was something that was head was kind of moving around but the body was quite still so you want to kind of focus on the head and the positions of the head whatever so it's it's so involved and there's so much that I, I saw in watching these workshops that I haven't even ever thought of before. So, <laughs> but again, really, it's really, all would, we have so uh, much
1: overlap because it's all about getting to know that species you're looking at uh-huh. and hoping to remember it the next time you see it. So yeah. it's just two different ways of doing it. And it's very complimentary. And, you know, I encourage everyone who's you know a budding naturalist or especially a budding birder because that's Uh you know a big hobby and because there's so many species especially when you start getting into the tropical latitudes um that you know any kind of little sketchbook out there and it doesn't matter how rudimentary your sketches are just the act of writing it down even if you're just writing down yeah it's got a you know a white crown and it's got a yellow bill and you know here's my little uh, you know kindergarten outline of the bird it's still <laughs> going to put you in the moment and and improve your birding it really will yeah improve your the the, That's the speed cool. that you'll learn Just like learning a new language, you know, I I know you're a a polyglot, right? And to learn a new language, you've got to really be using it. You've got to write down those words and see them and hear them spoken in their native language. And the more ways you use to learn hearing and seeing and doing, the faster you're going to learn that language, right?
0: That's very cool. Yeah, I mean it's such a anyway. I, I want to just jump back a little bit. You were saying that it can be very relaxing, sort of doing things from memory. I when I got back into art during the just at the end during the end of the pandemic, I would usually devote about two to three hours a day for art, and wow. this was maybe maybe the la- the last three months. Um, and I and I thought, you know what happened? I was chatting with with Ken. And I was saying, oh, I'm interested in art. And, and Ken said to me, if, if you don't do this during the pandemic, you're probably never going to do it. And, and, the, and, the thought, and it really shocked me. And the thought that I would never paint again, never draw again, it shocked me. It scared me in a way. And I thought, I've got to do this. And I thought, okay, I've got some time now. I'm going to do it every single day. Set, set a rule. I'm going to do one picture a day. And I'm going to put it up on Facebook, whatever. And then that's you know that's that went out to people like you and you know family and friends and, and p- people gave me feedback on that, so I spent this two three hours a day, doing art, and it, you know during the pandemic it was quite stressful. There was a lot of you know you're worrying about money, you're worrying about the future, you're worrying about so many different things, and it was my little bit of paradise at the end of the day where I just blocked out everything else. And I was only thinking about my art. And, went, and, and I focused 100% on that and just, just forgot about everything else. And it was, it was amazing therapy. It was absolutely amazing therapy just to focus on that one thing. So that was really special time for me every day. But it, it also kind of tired me out in a way having that intense concentration for 2 3 hours sure sure i would i would i would finish and i was just absolutely exhausted so <laughs> I, I was i was interested to hear you say that it was very relaxing do you do you ever feel like tired by concentrating so much on a on a picture
1: um you know it can be both i mean cuz you are right. really you're really focused but I think Uh it's less tiring than, you know, scrolling through social media all day, you know, like most people do. So, yeah, I just find it, you know, any activity that focuses your mind, like I said, you know, even even cooking. I got into baking during the pandemic. Uh (laughs) Um, So anything that you know, uses your hand, eye coordination and really you're learning something, you know, that puts you right in the moment and it clears off out all the rest. And for me I'm I'm very high energy, very ADHD, always multitasking <laughs> and I I can't do that when I'm drawing. So even though it kinda uses a lot of brain power, it at the same time pushes the past and the future out of the way too. Right. So even though the present is more intense, the past and the yeah. future are gone.
0: <laughs> I think I kind of got into it during that time that I was that I was painting. And I think I think maybe in the beginning I was concentrating, but I think then I would al- I would also kind of listen to some music or even just put something on in the background that I could listen to at the same time. So I was kind of multitasking a little bit. Do you when you're working on art at home, do you ever listen to music or have anything else going on or you just kind of Concentrating in silence,
1: as long as there's no words. Um, Okay. So I actually listened to a a couple of um, live webcams on YouTube of like African (coughs) watering holes, (laughs) and you you just hear the uh, elephants coming and going, Uh, and the uh, 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 right, 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 and all all those guys. That's very relaxing. But I I can't hear words while I'm while I'm drawing. So I feel I, I, sorry uh, for my students who have to listen to me, but they seem to be yeah, able right. to finish their sketches because they always show them to me after class. But it's it's kind of hard to hear or words or say words when you're drawing because it's the different part of your brain, I think.
0: That's fascinating. I I was a little bit I don't want to say I was naughty, but I <laughs> I I kind of got into a little bit of like binge listening to Netflix while I was painting. So I would, I would have maybe, uh, yeah, I would, I would be concentrating on that, and then I would have some, I would have something. I, so I, I seem to be able to. It didn't distract me. Having words didn't seem to distract me. Um,
1: yeah, it, I'm it very distractible. Sort of, <laughs>
0: really? Yeah, maybe, maybe it's just. I think it's probably different for everybody. Everybody has a different, like, method of, of um, doing the same thing.
1: Yeah, oh, that's um,
0: <laughs> that's fascinating. So um, another, I wanted to get into a little bit more. About these nature sketching trips, these journaling trips, um, I was listening to you talk about the preparation for these trips, and like I've I've sort of honed down my preparation for birding trips. You know, I I have my binoculars here. I've got all my like charging cables. I've got a spare one of this and a spare one of that, and a laser pointer here. And I've I've really kind of honed down what I do. And then listening to you talk about. Um, putting, you know, your two art sets in this bag, and your one art set in here, and and filling your palette, and um, and and letting it dry out, and yeah, you showed this picture of this palette that you just kind of filled before the trip and and the blue had like leaked all over the whole palette and it <laughs> was just it was turquoise. so funny naughty
1: cobalt turquoise <laughs> no yeah
0: and and i thought it was so funny because it was kind of similar in a way to i to to what i do with preparing for my trips but it was just kind of totally different as well so that i found really interesting
1: <laughs> well i over prepare and sometimes right. i'm teaching when i'm traveling too so i'm trying to bring ex- lots of extra sets of things And if I'm traveling for a long time, like I was just in Costa Rica for seven weeks in May and June. So I wanted to make sure I had everything because I do remember the first time I went to Costa Rica, I had a favorite pencil and I used all of that same pencil until I only had a little stub and I had to tape that (laughs) stub onto a longer pencil so that I could keep using it. (laughs) So now I travel with about six of that same brown colored, very thin Prismacolor pencil.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, you were saying, you know, do, you know take, take plenty of supplies. And like there, there was even things like, you know, bring a sort of high quality pencil sharpener so you don't like sharpen your pencils too much and run out. And it was, it was just fascinating. It was just like a totally different subculture and a totally different <laughs> way of preparing for a trip.
1: Well, but also, I don't want to intimidate people by thinking you need a lot of materials. Because, again, it's right. it's not about materials. Really, 90% of the time when I'm out in the field, I just have my hardcovered sketchbook and my, um, you know, one of those um, colored pencils that doesn't bleed um, and doesn't smear like a graphite pencil. <laughs> and maybe my... You know, six color watercolor set and my little uh, water brush. Uh, So, I really do 90% of the time keep it very simple. But again, if I'm traveling for a long time and staying at a lodge and maybe creating paintings for commissions or something to sell while I'm there, you know, then I'll have a lot of extra stuff because, you know, you just can't get refills of. About uh, sure. cobalt yeah. blue <laughs> watercolor <laughs> in the Neotropics, or ninety percent of the places you travel, right? So um, I'm just so yeah.
0: I was um I was fascinated by you were talking about the preparation um that you do for trips, and you were saying to think ahead about what you might be like sketching and painting, and think of the colors and make sure you have the correct colors, you know, like for for hummingbirds or flowers or whatever. So yeah.
1: Right. And also, um, you know, again, if you're going to be using sketching as a way to learn the critters, like say you're Uh going to go to Kenya for this first time since you were mentioning Kenya. Um, and you've mm-hmm. never been to Africa. You might spend some time beforehand watching YouTube videos of, of African wildlife and, and getting used to the proportions of like a zebra compared to a wildebeest or a hartebeest or you know uh, you know all those members of the cattle family too um, you know um, so getting used to those proportions of different major groups of animals. So when you get there, it's not so much to learn, right? So you've got right. a little bit of that down. It's not the, you know, your first rodeo, right? So... And,
0: and you were saying, I think you recommended that as um, something that could help people, help people speed in sketching in the field was if, if you're kind of already familiar and you've practiced on those things, and then you'd be able to, to sketch them quicker.
1: Right. You know, just like people um, who go on your birding tours, they download Mm -hmm. the the list, the bird list that they're going to see, and they probably study it. Right. And they they look Uh at they buy their guidebook beforehand and they get all excited and they try to separate out all those familiar looking species and figure out what they need and what they've already seen. So yeah, it helps if you've done some preparation. So you're not overwhelmed, especially when you go to the tropics where there's just such high species diversity.
0: <laughs> so I, I guess something that might differ from on, on a sketching trip rather than a birding trip is that you you need to be kinda of close to stuff and you need to have some probably some repetition. So I guess things like feeders and, uh, and, and and setups where you've got those you've got the repetition and you've got things a little bit closer to enable you to, to sketch, right?
1: Yeah. Um, so you know it's nice to stay at birding lodges uh, and other wildlife focus lodges that do have you know scopes sitting around and guides with you know nice um, nice binoculars and lots of feeders <laughs> and fruit feeders and hummingbird feeders. So, yeah, but also, you know, you can learn a lot by sketching things that are a little bit farther away. Uh, You know, lots of, yeah, people seem to want to have something right up close so they can, you know, Uh, count count the number of primary feathers or something, right? But, you know, so many species have these characteristic silhouettes, even if they're sitting on a snag 100, you know, feet away. So you don't have to feel that everything has to be super close because you can still right. figure out what species something is when it's, it's farther away.
0: So with my art, I think knowing birds really well, because I'm only really kind of interested in, in, in painting birds. I have no interest in anything <laughs> else. So I, I I kind of concentrate on the bird. And because I know it very well, I, I can recognize that a, a position is natural. Um, and I can keep working on, on it until I'm happy with it. And I know that that looks like it and I've kind of captured the bird, and and I, I feel in a way that the bird paints itself when you know it very well. But I have very little patience and very little aptitude, it seems, for doing backgrounds. <laughs> oh and,
1: God! I know I am exactly you, you must... the same way. It's like no, that's, just, I don't know, that's you... just extra stuff. Who cares about the background? <laughs> yeah,
0: but the thing is, what what do you have? Um which is amazing and you include in your work is this ability to accurately portray plants like you um, you sent me some of these beautiful pictures that had like a close-up of the bird like this um like a a mountain toucan from ecuador and then in the background you know you've got these beautiful bromeliads and you've got these very accurately drawn plants that you're able to do you know because you've got this you've had this training and this practice of 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 putting those in so that's I found that really a lovely thing with your work it's just it's not just the subject of the bird and a branch you know you put it in perspective
1: right right and you as a bird photographer can probably appreciate that too It's that it's nicer when you get a photo that has enough of the background so it can really set it in that background like in that um you know those foggy uh cloud forests um although those mountain toucans it wasn't foggy that day so <laughs> <laughs> the were, but you know what i mean like so you know whether it's the hot harsh sun of the sonoran desert or whether it's foggy cloud forests uh you know setting that animal in its habitat helps and you know, another reason I do so much of my sketching in the field is that it it informs my finished paintings that I finish back in the studio, like some of the things I I shared with you. So when I can really get some accurate um, behaviors of of birds with their habitat and with each other, and 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 I can, you know, get the habitat again because. You know, you know, adding in say those orchids and bromeliads and all those amazing mm. epiphytes that you get in the <laughs> lowland and and rainforests and cloud forests, right? So that um, you know, it just it's just yeah, it paints the whole picture. But I, I, I mm. <laughs> being ADHD, I don't have much patience for backgrounds. I would just really rather also. paint the darn bird. <laughs> so yeah (laughs) i like those kind Um, of field guide kind of paintings
0: (laughs) okay christine i think we're gonna leave it there for today it's been amazing having you on i've managed to ask you a lot of the questions that were were in my head um that i wanted to know about you um i wanted to say a huge thank you because you were very um i told you that i'm very sensitive to criticism but i i I also love to get encouragement from other people, especially informed encouragement. And having positive comments from you was very, very uh, encouraging for me. And also, just in the last couple of days, looking through some of these workshops and stuff that you've done, it, my, my mind is absolutely racing. <laughs> absolutely racing about the, about the possibility of doing this. And this, this may... You know, what I, you know where I'm going in a week's time? I'm going to the Falkland Islands.
1: Oh, very cool! On a birding,
0: on a birding photography trip, we're going to spend days like looking at penguins. I'm going to get bored of photographing those penguins after about an hour. Yeah, so. I am going to take some art supplies. I don't know what the other photographers are going to think about it on the tour, but I'm going to sketch some of these penguins. Yay! Um, and, I'm so... And, and, and Yay, that's you, have great. Totally in, you have totally inspired me. I'll be watching for you, fo-
1: posting those on Instagram. Yes. <laughs> you, you've
0: totally inspired me to, to do this now. Um, so I'm really, really excited about that. So thanks so much for coming on. It's been a, a, a great discussion. I've I've begged and pleaded... Uh, with you, and you've agreed to come back on again because I really wanted to cover some of the amazing places and the experiences you have done. So we're going to do a second episode, all righty um, about that. So um, <laughs> this has been this has been great. Um, we always finish with a natural sound, and we have agreed to uh, do a natural sound of one of the the uh, the species. So what what are we going to listen to at the end here?
1: The plate build mountain toucan from the cloud mountain forest of I, Ecuador.
0: I don't know if you know. I used to live in Ecuador. Mm-hmm. I used to live in a place that had plate bill mountain toucan so this was like my alarm clock i would <laughs> i would wake up in the misty mountains oh, and fabulous. they have this kind of like hon- honking croaking sound that's just and it often comes through the mist you know and these bromeliads and the mist and the sound it's very special sound for me so i'm really excited oh, to play this fabulous. so thanks so thanks so much for coming on and thanks, i'm really Charlie. excited to to chat more. Okay, thanks for for joining us. Yeah, thanks everyone for joining us and we'll catch you next time.
1: Ciao.